So what happened on the night in question? You know, like, let, let's start with the early part of the evening. The what most happened? important thing is that I, I, I put a lid on what happened in Tenerife that night, I think. Hmm, yes. I, I don't... I don't want to go into too much detail because it's quite embarrassing, but uh, it was scary, really scary. Was he waxed down there? Welcome to the New Age Boxing Podcast, where we have um, a bit part squad tonight. Well, um, you've got Terry Chapendama here. Martin sends his apologies. As we speak, he's currently being inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame in light of his forensic and thorough investigation into what happened in Tenerife. Um, I think we'd all like to congratulate Martin on... Mm -hmm cementing his place in boxing history by being truly the voice of the fans and the voice of the people, asking the questions others are afraid to ask. Uh, Martin's on a VIP trip uh, this this weekend. Um, Pepper Pig World uh, he's gone to, so that's, nice. yeah, that's that's where the boxing elite, that's the where the boxing sort of Illuminati go. Apparently so. Um, I think Kelsey is going to be disappointed that it's not real pigs. You know, I thought I'd get in the grab, pop a park in. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have quite a bit to get through tonight, don't we? I have to be, like, engaged and have to ask questions and have opinions yeah. and stuff now because my theorizing. Right. The weird thing is that, um, that, yet again, the same week that Martin's not here, we happen to get a question from Tati and Meobold, which is so weird. And like, we've never met this time. No, we never. came close. I think a couple of times we we've we've come really really close. <laughs> um, okay, right. So we've got lots to get through, and I guess the best place to start is the start is the Belfast show, where well, Lee Haskins fought Ryan Burnett, and am I right in saying that one of the judges has been? Um, BB BFC have dismissed him forever, banished him uh, oh. from Mordor or whatever. <laughs> no, no one's ever banished in boxing. He, he, he'll, he'll be, he'll be sat on the bench. Never, he'll never judge a fight again. They said, didn't they? That's what I heard. Uh, bollocks! Like, there's not enough good judges anyway. So you know. I, I don't think so. His card was, was the the card wasn't that bad apart from the admin of getting the names wrong. It was quite a reasonable card, but let, let, let's really call that show what it was—an absolute sack of shit. Um, <laughs> it was. It was just a horrible, horrible event. It it made no sense. I don't know who that was designed to build up. Ryan Burnett is just someone who is on the matchroom books. There's no real plan for him. There's no one at 118 for him. Um, I didn't see where this show was going. It, it feels like another match or a money grab, which tells you that 
maybe they're not making as much money as we thought they were. Other or there are other there are other less civilized reasons for having that sort of show. But we'll come on to that later. Let's just touch on Haskins versus Burnett. Uh, just to, just an update on what I just said. Promoter Eddie Hearn believes the judge who scored Lee Haskins as the winner against Ryan Burnett got the two identities of the boxers mixed up. So, <laughs> well, well, it's understandable because how can you score Lee Haskins 118? Like, like <laughs> you're literally only marking him down for getting knocked down. To be fair, it does seem to make sense uh, given that the other two judges had done had marked 119 to 107. Yeah, it would make sense that he did get the two identities mixed up. Yeah, uh, it makes it better. Don't let facts get in the way of a good story. It's always what I've known to be true. Yeah, case. And, and, I, and I think unless something major happens, it's going to remain as a split decision, which is hilarious. Crooked. That's what I'm going for. Fixed. Rigged. <laughs> um, Rigged. Conspiracy. The actual fight it was crap. It was crap. Now it was, Burnett it was... floored Haskins twice. Yes, but I think we need to roll back to really understand what happened in this fight. If anyone saw how Lee Haskins came to the ring, he didn't look focused. I like Lee. I think Lee's one of those guys. He's a, in the purest sense of the word, he's a throwback. He's a guy who just enjoys boxing. You imagine that, you know, look, it's Lee Haskins. He's probably, you know, he'd probably rather be out on a stag do with his mates. You know, but he'll have a fight, get a bit of money. He loves it. So he, he had that sort of demeanor. Literally, he looked like he had just come out of Fulton Young Offenders Institute, the way he was dressed. And immediately, that sort of set me off going, mate, you're defending your world title and you you look like you're not taking this seriously. So psychologically, you could look at Burnett. He's got his team around him. You've got Booth. you got, I think, Richard Towers was there. Um, And you're looking at that team and you're like, they're focused and they're, they're, there was an intensity to them. So when the when the first bell goes, the one thing I don't expect Lee Haskins to get hit with is a straight right from an orthodox fighter. It's like, Jesus Christ, you've been a Southpaw your whole fucking career. And so he kept eating this right hand and didn't seem to know how to deal with it. Now, let's be clear. Ryan Burnett is no slickster. Um, Au contraire, it seems to be. <laughs> He's pulling out these punches. Well, no, but... Let's, let, how do you describe Ryan Burnett? You know when sometimes, like, you know... Oh, here we go, here we go. You know, you know what, once upon a time, you yeah. maybe you go to a karate class, or you go to an oh, MMA okay. class. We're going for karate. I like karate better. Or, or street dance. No, no, street dance. Oh, street dance. Even street better. dance. Pineapple Studios, Sunday morning. You go to a bit of street dance. Hello, gang. And maybe you learn how to do a quick grapevine into into a quick shuffle. Now, everybody stand in line. We're going to start this dance class. <laughs> Everybody get against that wall. <laughs> and I'll start getting tough. Stick your bums out as well. <laughs> when you check the firm and that, you know, you know. No, so look. Right, so, 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 so you learn you learn that one move. And, you know, when you go out, that the next night you go out and you're just doing that same move because people are looking at you when you do it. And you're like, yeah. And you probably do it to Backstreet's back by the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all Burnett would do with his shoulders. He'd just pump his shoulders in it. And I'm looking at him going, but he's not moving his feet. So just time him between shoulder movements and just punch him in the fucking face. It's, it's, it's almost like Haskins didn't try. And I know that sounds strange, but we've said it about his previous fight. 
where he seems to have just lost interest in boxing. And I, I don't think his head's in it. It's weird. I think he almost became world champion and that was him in boxing. He's happy now. He's just like, well, now I just want money. There was no ambition in his performance. He made Ryan Burnett look better than he is. I think as soon as Ryan Burnett comes against a Mexican or someone from Thailand, he'll get, he'll get his face punched in. He, he's defensively lazy. He's not slick. It just looked, it looked amateurish from what I could see. And that's no shot to Adam Booth. I like Adam Booth. I think Adam Booth sort of taken Ryan Burnett as he is and said, we'll just find ways to get you over the line. There's, there's nothing impressive about the guy. Um, he's IBF champion now. Can't see where he goes. Can't see where the revenue is for his next fight. So he's 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 a champion limbo like Haskins was. They might you know, get Stewie Hall in there, I guess. Uh, get matched with one of the McDonald's, but no one really cares. It's just little guys, man. It's a shame to see Lee Haskins go out the way he did. I I'm a big Lee Haskins fan. Like him as a person. Like the Sandigans as people. And it's good to see Bristol people trying to put Bristol boxing on the map. But his time's probably been and gone. I don't know who he fights next, but he's just a name that you basically run over on your way to the top now. Speaking of running over, um, did you see that horrid footage of that um, woman in China? So she's, she's it's all, I saw it on Live Leak, uh, totally unrelated to every, every, anything to do boxing. But she's standing in the middle of the road, right? And she, on a zebra crossing as well. Buff, car hits her, right? She hits the bonnet, rides up onto the windscreen, then falls off the side of the car, and the car just sort of stops, and then keeps going. Then she lays there on her back in the middle of the road. A few cars, sort of pedestrians walk across the zebra crossing, give her a passing look, carry on walking. No one comes to her aid. A few cars, like, drive sort of around her. One car goes to overtake another car, sees her in the road, brakes, slips back inside the car, is about to overtake. About a minute passes of cars crawling past her. Then another car comes wrong, <laughs> drives over her <laughs> like she's a speed bump, 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 drags her body down the road about 20 metres. Oh, yo. <laughs> fuck? I tell you, honestly. It's amazing. It's, it's, like, it's not, I mean, it's not uh, like a funny video or anything like that, but it just opens your eyes as to how much people don't give a shit about each other in certain yeah, corners of the country. Is it well. China where it's better for you to kill a pedestrian than to injure them? Uh, well, if it's the financial penalties, it could be, because yeah. if you, if you're basically, if you find, if you injure somebody, they can then get their family involved and they, they ask for like compensation money basically. For the rest of that person's life. And they can bankrupt you. <laughs> yeah. But if you just kill someone, it might be a little bit of jail time and you're out. <laughs> yeah. So there've been stories of people hitting someone. You see them writhing on the road. You're like, fuck this. Just hit it in reverse. Yeah. <laughs> 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 ask your mate who's, where, where about say I'm two blocks behind you. Just uh, run over that bird on the way yeah. past. <laughs> hey, yeah. Get the first couple of wheels over and stop. Oh mate, it was terrible. Um, this is, <laughs> apologies to anyone of a sensitive disposition. Yeah, don't um, listen to the, the 30 seconds before, prior to this if um, you are of a sensitive disposition. Drive safely on the roads, <laughs> always look where you're going and respect zebra crossings. Paul Highland Jr. versus Adam Dinsdale. Uh That was over in a round, was it? Oh, I, I, I'll claim personal bias. I think those who know me well know I'm good friends with Eddie Lamb and I am a big supporter of what goes on at the iBox gym, home of Bradley Skeet and formerly home of Daryl Williams. What I saw from Adam's, Adam Dingsdale wasn't good enough. 
it just wasn't good enough. Um, I know it was short notice, and so he, when you're getting put out in a round in the manner he did, he got dropped twice, and it looked like he was out of his depth against Paul Highland. And Paul Highland is not a world beater by any stretch of the imagination. It was hurtful to watch because I know Eddie Lamb and I know how old school Eddie is. So Eddie would have taught defence and Dingsdale just didn't defend himself. Uh, I'm unfamiliar with these boxes. Can you give me some background? Um, so if we start with Highland. So Highland is... He's part of this mission to make Ireland, and I include Ireland as a whole for some of our... You know our friends from over the water who 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 do not acknowledge the border, but in terms of just to get Irish boxing on the map. So you look at guys like Paul Highland; they're on the way up. You know, it's part of this whole group with the Paddy Barnes and the Michael Conlans, where you've got a, a cohort of Irish boxers who are expected to do reasonably well. So he's part of that group. No bells and whistles. There's no there's no Hollywood glitz to what he does. The guy shows up to have a fight, and he has it. Adam Dingsdale. It's probably best known for losing to Derry Matthews and probably not a good Derry Matthews at that. But, you know, Martin would love him. He's a small hall warrior, a guy who will show up on the small hall level and do really, really well, entertain. He'll give you the fight you want. But as we discussed with Rakeem Noble, who incidentally fought yesterday as well, when you get to that top level, that televised level, it doesn't matter who you're fighting. and You're going to be tested on your fundamentals and your defense at that level everyone can throw a punch for god's sake it's who can stop the other guy hitting them that's what it's all about it's all about that can you keep your chin tucked in can you put your hands up when you feel under pressure and clearly the small hall game is not helping a lot of these boxes develop because we're not seeing people come up and look polished and that's disappointing uh, Mike Perez versus Victor Bizjak. Um, is Victor Bizjak going to turn out to be, uh, again, I'm unaware of him, is he a Romanian sweet shop owner or something? Nah, he's just fucking Russian domino, whatever the fuck it is, mate. He just blew a fucking <laughs> fell over, really. <laughs> a um, Russian domino. <laughs> just fell over. Uh, like M- Mike Perez has been in the media for his weight loss and... People saying it's all down to drugs and peds, and I'm like, yeah. What did you expect? <laughs> the guy, the guy was a heavyweight who couldn't look in shape, and all of a sudden he can make cruiserweight. What do you think? He discovered God? No, he discovered peds, and like you know, both have the same effect. You know, you can turn water into wine, you can turn fat into muscle, you can do whatever you want. Oh fuck it, that's what he did. He's a cruiserweight. He he did look devastating though. And how many years have we been saying Mike Perez at cruiserweight would be a factor? Problem is he's old. The binge drinking and the binge eating's probably caught up with him. But we all know where this is headed. They're going to build up Mike Perez and feed him to one of the matchroom cruiserweights. So he might be an opponent for a post David Hay two for De- for Tony Bellew. So they might just, you know, if you can build up Mike Perez, get him to where he's a contender for a belt. If Bellew beats Hay, moves on, you feed Perez to someone like Lawrence Ocoli. If Bellew stays, you build Perez up and say, look how amazing this guy is. Bellew's going to fight him on Sky Sports. It'll be on pay-per-view, yada, yada, yada. And that's essentially what they're doing, man. Like, they're just resurrecting the stiffs to rebuild them. 
and then one of the matchroom guys will beat Mike Perez and we'll never hear from Mike Perez again. But as long as he's making a living, let's all be happy. Not much you can learn from that fight. He was meant to fight Tommy McCarthy. McCarthy pulled out. He got this replacement. You know, I don't think the replacement had done his research on Perez. Perez is a reasonably skilled boxer. He might have been from that Cuba team from the 2005 World Championships. If not, he was very close to making it. But, you know, just another mediocre fight on a really mediocre card. Like, why the fans let Eddie Hearn do this to them? Like, every time Eddie Hearn, he's like a... He's like a serial... He's analogous to just a serial offender in any way. I was about to say something else. Yeah, you else. were about to say something. I was thinking... Re- I think that might be the line... Yeah. You know, you're, you, you know when Martin's on here, I know he'll get sued before me. So <laughs> I'm okay. When I'm here on my own, I, I don't want to risk that lawsuit. But Hearn is like a serial offender. Like you, you get these kids who nick cars or whatnot. And the judge says, all right, all right. Yeah, we understand your background. It's tough. Um, yeah, just go back out in the community and behave yourself. And they steal another car. Uh, yeah, I know. Mum's on drugs and stuff. And you always find a reason to justify what these guys do. Hearn's shafting you. Like, you've got this crap to deal with. And then you've got that July the 1st show, which they're going to charge you full price for the tickets. Jeez, man. Like, I have nothing against the young guys boxing on that. The Jake Balls and the Lawrence O'Coleys and the Isaac Chamberlains boxing on that. I think that's really good for them. But there's no headline acting. There's no main event muscle in that one. But people watch it. People go to it. Why? Because they can put it on Instagram. Good luck to them. Well done. I feel like with boxing, um, I can't correctly judge the market size in the UK, maybe the world, whatever. Well, certainly, I just I just can't judge it, and 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 also judge the amount of money coming in. Like something like football, for example, you, you feel just like limitless amount of money, but you you hear about the television deals being signed and how much money's coming into the sport. You hear about what players are being paid per week. And you you get some idea, even if it is grotesque, obscene figures, you also hear about how much clubs turn over, how much they get paid for kit sponsorship deals and that. You don't hear anything about boxing. And I and I always wonder if there's... When you've got Anthony Joshua saying he wants to be the first billionaire boxer, and then we talk about the small hall shows, and the disperser of revenue across the sport is always going to be a pyramid system. I appreciate that. But it just feels like with boxing... I can't, I can't correctly judge if there is, is there enough money coming into the sport? Were it correctly managed for it to be a lot more successful than it is? Does the uh, or does boxing struggle to generate enough revenue? And if it does, then how? And I appreciate this is probably just fantasy, but how could that be changed? And the and, and what I allude to there is. Let's say, for example, you had one promoter whose key goal was to be the the saviour of the sport. Would that make it better or worse? Do you understand my sort of my rally of questions? Yes. So for, first things first, unless Joshua sells headphones or his own branded trainers, he has no chance of being a billionaire. He will be lucky to make a few million here and there, but... In about three or four years, who's going to care who Anthony Joshua is? Not whoa, many people. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> rewind. Why is that? Why? But couldn't he? Couldn't he be? If he, if he won, uh, if he sees his next two fights out, 
against, let's say, Klitschko, if it does happen again, and then he fights Pulev, let's say, right? Okay. And then and then he fights Deontay Wilder in the States or something like that, right? Could that not build him up in the States enough for him to start being a States fighter or be able to exploit the States? So you've got to look at it and you've got to say, we know the fights that will test Anthony Joshua already. Wilder's one of them. Klitschko probably isn't one. That's a kind of mezzanine fight between a routine defense and a challenging defense. And the reason I said Pulev is because they've come out this week haven't they, and said that Pulev, if if Klitschko doesn't happen next, if he doesn't accept the rematch or take up the rematch clause, then it will be Pulev next. And if it is Klitschko next, then it has to be Pulev because that's the IBF mandatory, right? They can't escape fighting Pulev, so they'll have to fight Pulev within the next nine months, I'd imagine. But reality is reality. But he could sell out, theoretically, he could sell out again, Wembley Stadium. But, but you, you, I think we all ignore the fact that he doesn't make that much money from selling out Wembley Stadium because Wembley make a fair bit of money off that because they understand that there's only really two or three options you have, Right. And none of them are as big as Wembley. Okay, so what about there was talk of places around like the UAE looking at trying to bring Joshua Klitschko two to there? Are they you going to fly out there? That does it in terms of money? Does that matter? Yeah. Are you going to fly out there? I wouldn't. I wouldn't Thank pay the you. money. So but you, you you can throw all that money. I at just it. feel like there are people out there who, after they watch the first fight, if they weren't at the first fight. And they've got enough money, which there's plenty of people in London that have got loads of money. They'll, they'll go, screw that, I'm going to be there. And all they need is 20,000 fans to, to get out there no, no in one's, the right no place. One's, no one's going out there. You can't even get drunk and just sing in the streets. and st- you All know. right, what about Africa? Because um, there's talk of that as well. All right, so you're going to get some corrupt West African leader to bankroll a show... That will do wonders for AJ's image, won't it? Uh, here you are with these really corrupt politicians that all want to be in pictures with you and you've got to do it. Well, there's your Lucas A sponsorship gone. There's your StubHub sponsorship gone. And not, not, none of the Wembley crowd are going to Nigeria. I don't care what anyone says. It's a hole. Okay, right. So I've probably taken us a bit too far down one of but, the but, holes. But, but, rabbit yeah, one, but. but, but let's, let, let's, let's just look at the numbers in boxing, right? The HBO budget for boxing annually is around $28 million. Uh, That comes in from... No, no, that's how much they allocate that they want to spend on boxing. And they expect to generate a return greater than that. More often than not, they just break even and they're happy with their break even. Showtime might be slightly more in the mid-30s in terms of budget spent. Because remember, they had a six-fight deal with Mayweather, which was a massive hole in their capital for a while. But now they can focus on smaller events. How how much does a category A, and I'm just inventing this phrase, I've no idea if it actually is a term, but a category A pay-per-view, how much money does that generate? And into that I place things like, uh, say, a Joshua Fury, a Klitschko Joshua, a Mayweather, Pacquiao, you know, those sort of top so, fights. So Joshua Fury is a 50 million grossing fight. Like, you, you add everything up that goes on in that fight. Mayweather, Pacquiao? Mayweather Pacquiao, 
that's like 300 million i realize that was a biggie but like oh yeah. so you're looking at somewhere between 50 million and 300 million for a grade a top quality if it fits one of the three boxes we've discussed before you're looking at anywhere between 50 and 300 wilder million. joshua what would that be i to be fair i put that in the 50 category because deep down we're not looking at two true greats as you were with mayweather and pacquiao they're great who decimated weight class after weight class, and we said they need to meet at some point. Right, but there's only Joshua one weight Klitschko, class. Yeah, Joshua Klitschko, yeah, Joshua Klitschko, it's two big men knocking lumps out of each other. Fuck uh, it. I don't know. I think people get a really sort of... Uh, Do the numbers. Right, you feel Wembley again. Theoretically, let's just say you feel Wembley again. Right. Great. So that will gross you... Maybe 18 million? Yeah, that's your gross on the gate, 18 million. Let's just say you do a million and a half pay-per-views on that. But by then, streaming will be ubiquitous. So I don't even think you'll do a million and a half pay-per-views. And that takes you to 30 million pay-per-views plus the 18 million. That's 38 million. International licensing sponsorships will be another 5 million. So you're in the mid-40s. Like you might stretch to 50 million if the Americans really want to pay for it on pay-per-view. But the Americans generally don't care. That's just how boxing is. So you'll end up with a pot somewhere between 40 and 50 million for that, of which Wembley will take a fair chunk because they still have a stadium to pay for. Sky will take a chunk, so they'll take half the pay-per-view take because that's just what they do. The fighters will demand significant purses and that will leave pennies left for the promoters and everyone else. Like, it's not a lucrative sport unless you're the fighter in question. And But even... Yeah, I... I, I yeah. It's not. Uh, okay, no, no. The- Here's my test. Here's my test. Name me one boxer who has sold anything other than boxing stuff since George Foreman sold you a grill and Larry Holmes sold you Campbell's soup or whatever the hell it is he did. No one. Yeah, and does HP sauce count, Frank Bruno? Who <laughs> eats HP sauce, man? Like HP sauce is just brown piss. It's horrible. Don't eat it. But look, there's no money in boxing, right? There's no money in boxing unless you're a Fury, a Joshua, a Hay. There is no money. Paul Smith doesn't make enough money to justify what he does, but he couldn't do anything else. I don't think no, the guy okay. can even count. Right. Um, um, so. All these small hall guys who have dreams of making money. It's not going to happen. Just the economics of it tell you it's not going to happen. You want to find ways to flip it and make money, man. Always hit me up on Twitter or whatever. But Jesus Christ, do not believe your purses will ever make you a rich man. Unless you're you're one of the 1% of the 1%. Welcome to the Dream Crusher podcast. Uh, any any Isn't it? No, Dream Smasher. That's, <laughs> Dream. that's, that's Hayley Smith's middle name, isn't it? In American Dad. <laughs> Dream Smasher. Um, right on this agenda, let's get back on uh, back on the agenda. You mentioned discuss what uh, just, sorry sinister undertones about the uh, last night's show, but have you sort of alluded to that? Yeah, um, I, I, last night's show just struck me as being an MTK Trojan horse. Now I don't For know Matchroom. Yes, yeah, so Matchroom was essentially the Trojan horse. MTK come inside. It gets them into households. People know who they are. Bang. You've got your stable of fighters and they've got TV exposure. Might be the same with Box Nation as well. It all feels very, very sinister because we never see many people behind MTK, except for Matthew Macklin, who is 
naturally a great spokesman, well-dressed man, very articulate, very intelligent. But there, there have been allegations around who's really behind MTK. And you do have to ask questions around what's actually going on and what influence are they exerting on the Hearns and what influence are they exerting on Sky Sports to get their fighters over? Because let's be honest, none of those bouts were really television quality bouts. And it seemed to be a great investment in Belfast when Haskins versus Bennett would have been a great... Like, you could have had that on the July the 1st card and justified why, you know, why you'd have a fight on July 1st. But, you know, we are where we are. It's it's worrying, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but it is worrying that we're seeing these developments happen that seem to have no strategic element but would be fortuitous for certain individuals. And he nearly shit himself, but properly ran. Ran. That sort of running. Okay, moving on. Uh, Eubank Jr. Taking on Arthur. Is it Arthur Abraham or Arthur Abraham? Yeah, isn't it Arthur Abrahamian? I think he's of Armenian descent. Um, on July 15th at the SSE Arena for the for nothing in fact actually you know what for nothing it's not for a title effectively yeah, I, I, I refuse there's only they're counting it and I, and I refuse to get on board with that earn a title that's worth talking about instead of having a title and just talking about it so they're taking on each other for some retarded belts they found somewhere um, but effectively it's not for a title but let, let, let's look at the backstory because if you believe the Eubank camp, they wanted the DeGale fight on July 1st. Matchroom wanted the, the DeGale fight for July 1st. DeGale and his camp didn't want the Eubank fight for July 1st. So then they said, okay, do you want Callum Smith? I'll take Callum Smith. Oh, my shoulder needs surgery now. Um... So you've got to look at the DeGale camp and go, what's really going on in there? It it seems a bit disorganised. And in the meantime, Eubank Jr. is fighting Arthur Abraham. And it's it's one of those classic things you do in boxing, isn't it? You take a name slightly past his best, who has a style tailor-made for you. So Abraham is just very much a, you know, fingers round the forehead, march forward. When he sees an opening, go for it. Eubank Jr. loves that. Like for for look, that's just the that's a punch bag for Eubank Jr. So expect him to be landing a lot of punches in this fight, and I wouldn't be surprised if he stops Abraham, and that would be a good statement because much like George Grove stopping Glenn Johnson when he did, and Johnson wasn't easy to stop. It's that, it's that thing that says, well, actually, you know what you're at that level where you can call out the champions. Now, you beat Abraham, you can call out the champions. Right? You, can call, you can call out Paul Smith, you know, if you want to. There wasn't there talk about um, Eubank stepping away from Saunders or Sta- Saunders stepping away from Eubank recently? Uh, to be honest, I think the, the, the thought of those two fighting is dead and buried now. Mm. Um, I think Saunders has his own career problems to worry about. Yeah. And I'd be worried because if Eubank does beat Abraham, then he probably has... <laughs> the more impressive win out of the two of them. I have a question. Is it is it possible? Because I don't see Eubank coming... I mean, this is obviously this has been arranged, this fight's been arranged, great. But every time that something goes to happen, um, something comes up 
could it be that they've made so many enemies, the Eubanks, that every fighter influenced by Hearn and Warren is just being sort of dragged away so that they can't progress Eubanks' career? I know no, that's a bit no. sort of tinfoil hat. But... Eubank, Chris Eubank Jr. turns a 300k payday to one and a half million payday for you. You're not letting anyone get in the way of that because no. you've got kids to feed and it's a sport where your, your lifespan is indeterminate. So if you're James DeGale, you make more money fighting Eubank Jr. than you do anyone else who's not called George Groves. If you're Callum Smith, you make more money fighting Eubank Jr. than you do anyone not called George Groves. If you're George Groves, you make more money fighting Eubank Jr. than anybody. Full stop. That's the biggest super middleweight fight on the planet, in my opinion. Okay. Um, Eubank Sr. has had an interview... And he's referred the fact that he might be quitting. Is that no, 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 no. He's referring to what it is to quit. Yeah. So he gave an IFL interview. And as everyone knows, I'm a big Chris Eubank fan. I think Eubank Sr. is quite possibly the most articulate spokesman for the sport we call boxing. And he proceeded to talk for at least 10 minutes about what it is to quit and why he is uncomfortable with the idea of fighters quitting, and he was referring specifically to Kelbrook. So his his view is, you right. don't quit. And 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 what what I like is, and this is what he said. You can quit, and the fans will understand, because the fans care about you. They care about your safety and your health. But he said, you can never stand in a group of fighters after you've quit. Because, you know, they're looking at you like, you quit. We've all been where you were. And when we were faced with that choice, we got up and we fought. No. I, see, for me, that's just... I, I, if I was standing in a group of fighters in if, in Calbrook's position, um, you, if anyone sort of decided to sort of side-eye me and look at me and go, yeah, you quit. I'd be like, you might have quit. If you knew that if you continued fighting, you'd lose your eyesight. But, and then and I think this is Chris's point. He says, when you step in that ring as a professional boxer, you sign an implicit pact with those fans to go above and beyond the call of duty. And yeah. this is this is how you win their hearts. And what I found interesting in yeah, that then, is... When, when you win their hearts and you lose your health, they go, oh, I'll tell you what, it's a real shame that um, and, 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 Johnny and, Johnny Smith got battered and now he's in a coma and now he's out and it's a real shame that he can't move any of his limbs anymore and he dribbles all the time isn't it a shame what a warrior he was and he's getting you know he's having his nan pay his care bills because he ain't got any money but no one sort of is forthcoming with such like, there's no warrior fund you know that's why it's until boxing starts using the apparent like boxers get this reputation for being stupid they don't like it they say we're not stupid we can think too we're intelligent guys and then they come out of this sort of thing you think this is why people think you're stupid because you can't you can't grasp the gravity of certain situations and go right in this situation if Kel Brook it turned out that Kel Brook, nothing had happened to him then I wouldn't, you know, I would have been just as critical as anyone else. But the fact that he's already bust an eye socket and they told him he'd lose his sight, and then his eye socket goes again, and no one's throwing the towel this time. Like if anyone actually 
I realise it's hypothetical based on what Chris Eubanks said, but still, if anyone said that to me, I'd be like, are you kidding? Are you are you too stupid to understand what the situation I was in was? And 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 I think that was Chris's message. He was he was saying that he was like non-fighters will view it one way and they're not wrong to view it that way. Fighters will view it another way because he, and and and, and he's just, he said this quite rightly. He, every fighter faces that inflection point that says I can carry on or I can stop. And he was just saying to really respect the you know that warrior code that he's so big on, you need to carry on, um, which I thought was interesting because it's rare that you hear a man talk so forcefully on that subject. He talked about other things as well in a more humorous way, but with that one, it was clearly something he's passionate about. This idea that you don't quit, and his message was, you know, Eubank Junior will never quit. Had he been in that situation, he'd have carried on fighting. Why? Because in Chris's own words. He was made by a fighter. He understands that to be a fighter, you do not quit. Oh, okay. So, um, obviously, I would then completely acknowledge that I would be coming from a non-fighter's perspective, if that's where he's sort of done. I find that a bit wet, to be honest. It's almost like um, straight away, you won't understand unless unless you're someone who can claim to be part of our club. But anyway. Although, although, although in, in his defense, I have friends in the army who say that sort of thing. Where they'll go, mate, you went in Iraq. You do not understand what, what it was like. And and I have to just nod my head and go, you're absolutely right, sir. I don't know what it was like to have bullets whizzing over my head. Maybe I'd think differently. I think it's one of those things, isn't it, where I'm not really in favor of saying, if you weren't there, don't have an opinion. Because I think you should have an opinion. It's about how much weight you can give an opinion and how you manage it accordingly. I just find it... I just What I find most strange is considering that not only has he, but also his son has been involved in fights where no one was prepared, almost like they were brinksmanship fights, and there has been people who have suffered long-term illness afterwards, and apparently, according to their own testimony, Eubank and Eubank Jr.'s own testimony, it haunts them, the feelings of putting these people in these positions... They still can't understand that when somebody quits, it might be for the greater good. So that person quits. Let's just say, for example, Kel Brook. He's quit that night. He has now made it so that Kel Brook's family don't have to suffer. Kel Brook doesn't have to suffer. And Spence Jr. doesn't have to suffer the agony of knowing that someone's a vegetable for the rest of their life. And for Eubank to be totally unaware of that and to go on the offensive almost, I just find it baffling. Do you know what I mean? Like, it just seems to be all of that, either all of that, um, all that stuff that he was talking about, how much he was, he feels for Blackwell and his family, and who was the guy that he... Michael Watson. Michael Watson, and how tragic it was. Either that was all waffle, or he's conveniently forgot that when he's put out this sort of... Anyway, I realise it's not you that said it, <laughs> but I just, I just find it hard to think. Well, right, fine. If you're going to hide behind the warrior code and we're uh, we're this and we're that, like at the end of the day, even from, um, I would have said that standing back from an objective standpoint, you've got to look at the bigger picture. And if somebody, if somebody takes a knee, you've got to once. It, it all is in context, and for if you're talking specifically about the Kelbrook fight, then 
contextually, it was for me, it was the it was the right thing to do. Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce to you, Mr. Andy White, this <laughs> evening. <laughs> yeah. Oh, damn! And the mask has slipped. And he's found his voice. <laughs> he's here now. You know, you feel free to put him in the reviews now, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. <laughs> Okay, no, but but, no, but but overall, the interview is quite interesting. One of the key things Chris said was he's going to start taking more of a backseat role in Junior's career. I think he's also realised that it wasn't helping him. So he's going to take a backseat. Hopefully Chris now gets the fights that he deserves and he can build a legacy of his own. Starting with DeGale, well, sorry, with Abraham, really. Then hopefully DeGale, Smith, Groves. Let's actually have these damn fights happen for a change. Okay, WBA Heavyweight Chaos. We have the Super Champion, who is... Is that AJ now? Yeah. And then you've got the Challenger, Ortiz. Uh, and then you've got the regular... Ty- so is this how it works so, so, so in essence, look. What's the expression the Americans use? Just clusterfuck. <laughs> That's what it, it's an absolute disaster because you have two belts in the WBA. And you would assume that if you're super champion, the man most likely to challenge you should be the regular champion, right? That's what you would assume. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Now, the super champion is Anthony Joshua. His mandatory is Luis Ortiz, who is not the regular champion. He was once, I think he was, was he once the regular champ? He might have been and relinquished it. So, you have a WBA regular title floating around, which no one really wants and we'd all want the WBA, you know, Gilberto Mendoza refuses to appear on this show. And, you know, that's somewhat disappointing because we are ready to ask these sorts of questions. But you have a belt that no one wants. But because you've been so incompetent, you've been sued by a man called Fraser Kendo, who is due a shot at the WBA regular title. So they can't mothball it because they have to give him a title shot or give him fuckloads of money. So originally, it was fight Shannon Briggs for it. Then we found out Shannon Briggs was on the happy pills. And so Shannon Briggs is out the picture. Um, Alexander Ustinov had a fight recently. So he's back in the picture and says he wants a shot at the title. The problem is all of these guys are over 40. Ortiz is 38. And not really relevant to the to the heavyweight division. Exactly. So the WBA have painted themselves into this ridiculous corner where... They gave the super title to the winner of AJ Klitschko. That wasn't won properly. Um, Ortiz hasn't been mandated to fight the winner of that yet, although he's expecting to and is willing to sue to get his chance. And they can't sort out this fucking regular belt. You know, it's it's a mess. It's a joke. It's embarrassing. It's everything that's it's wrong in boxing. It's the WBA title system. It is. Um, you know, and, you know, as deflating as that is, it's probably a good point to swing on to something I am looking forward to, something that is amazing for boxing, which will be Ward Kovalev 2. And if you are a boxing fan, if you care about the sport of boxing, watch this fight, because this is what boxing is all about. When's it happening? Saturday. What time? Uh, it'll be about 4am. Right, okay, so it's being held in the States or Canada or something? In the States. Right. So the number one and number two light heavyweights in the world are squaring off again in the primes of their careers. This is what we want. Questions will be answered. 
We will find out if Ward is the all-time great that we believe he is. We will find out if Kovalev has the power to come back. And in the midst of all of that will be one of the most intriguing tactical battles there is, you know. And I said that's a rarity to have a, a boxing match coming up that is new age boxing approved as this is actually worth watching. If for nothing else, you're not going to hear that very often. <laughs> no, because you're fed a lot of bullshit. And it's why you have to respect Andre Ward. And it also, in fact, I'm going to say you have to respect... You also have to respect Sergei Kovalev for that exact same reason, whereby these guys have fought everyone there is to fight. They don't duck. They don't avoid. They don't go hiding. They're not talking about, ah, oh, it's a business. They're not, it's boxing. It's about a legacy, you know, and I respect that. And these men deserve to be rewarded by making this a lucrative fight because after these two fight each other, you know, we're all going to be bored again. Well, technically, <laughs> and then there's Bruno Garcia. So uh, maybe, maybe it might be a sizzling summer. But look, let's get excited. Will Andre Ward avoid the traps that Kovalev set last time? Will Kovalev, you know, try and engage Ward on the inside? All these questions will be answered. What's the role of John David Jackson? Um, what I found really interesting was the the Ward camp revealed that John David Jackson had offered to cross sides and move from Kovalev to working with Andre Ward, which, you know, that sort of treachery in boxing is unheard of. And it's been interesting that you haven't really seen John David Jackson front and centre in, in the build-up to this. So let's see what happens on Saturday. I'm really, really excited about this fight. I think everyone should be excited by it. You know, I think Ward is the archetype of a boxer. You know, all the menace in the world in the ring, all the compassion and sympathy in the ring outside of it. What a great human being. Uh, Kovalev has not covered himself in glory in the build-up, but, you know, that's helped make it a bit more of a spicy affair. But... One thing I will say, and I'll probably do a breakdown of this later on in the week for those who read the website, hint. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see if Ward will try and up the power game and actually start ripping hooks more because there were definitely opportunities for Ward to exercise some of the old school tactics that we know he has, but he seemed in awe of what Kovalev brought to the table. I think this time round, Whatever fear Kovalev's selling, Ward definitely isn't buying. So let's see what happens with that one. Okay, uh, Billy Joe Saunders, we touched on him earlier. His fight has been cancelled. I saw uh, the, just digging up the Billy Joe Saunders, Chris Eubank back and forth. Um, and from what I can see, um, completely out of the blue, Billy Joe Saunders comes on Twitter and says, uh, Chris Eubank talking shit. I put pen to paper twice. You pulled out. Both got fights coming up. After them, we'll see who has the pen ready. Um, <laughs> and then Newback comes back for two and says, only fight you've got coming up is the one with your missus having to explain to her again why you don't have a penny to your name. And then hashtag starving. Uh, can you even like begin to um, maybe pad this out with with um, alle alleges, potentially? Has he got like a gambling problem, allegedly, or something? No, he's just not fighting. So, oh, is that is that yeah. what it's so, alluding so, to? So Billy Joe basically <laughs> fought Andy Lee in November no. for the WBO belt. I know you enjoyed that fight. I, I enjoyed it for the first two rounds, but then, like I say, 
Billy Joe knocked Andy Lee, what was it, two or three rounds? He, I can't remember what rounds it was he knocked him down in. I think it might have been twice in the second round or something like that. And then that was it. And then Billy Joe just just played every single round safe and it was so boring. Was it only November? November 2015. Oh, right. Okay, I was going to say it felt like ages ago. Yeah. Jesus. Right, so, okay. so what big fight has Saunders been in since then? Has he only had one fight since yeah, then, hasn't he? Yeah, in the leisure centre. So, so you imagine in Scotland. Yeah. So these yeah. these camps all cost. His lifestyle costs. Everything costs, and he probably didn't make yeah. that much for yeah. the Andy Lee fight. So he needs a big fight. And you know, I'm not going to say fighting Kutsida, uh, whatever the Georgian guy's name is, was a big fight, but it was momentum, and it would have put him in position to call out the winner of Golovkin versus Canelo. So as it turns out, Kutsida ends up getting arrested in New York. <laughs> for involvement in racketeering of all fucking things racketeering <laughs> it sounds like uh, sounds like Terry Dunstan wait is that, to be honest it sounds like a charge that I'd expect hasn't been used since the 1920s racketeering so 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 so, so they were trying to dig beneath it and we're talking about who this organisation is <laughs> so this organisation is run by a guy they call them Russian super criminals so I don't know if that means they've got special powers or something. <laughs> so. They've been hanging around uh, Chernobyl. <laughs> There's been like this underground gangster institution in Chernobyl all these years and now they're coming out. Just all reading your pin numbers. Mr. Like Stretch. But it is. And so apparently they just call him Vor or something like that. What a scary fucking name. Oh, Vor okay. would like to talk to you. So Casida's involved in this. Clearly not one of the brains of the organisation, is he? So he must have been the muscle. And they've got video of him punching like an undercover police officer. So, so if, if ever you're doubly fucked, there you go. You're, a, you're caught on video. B, you're punching an undercover officer. How stupid is that? Billy Joe was right. The guy's an absolute idiot. And, you know, I have no sympathy because, look, his trainer should have been dealing with this. But it puts Saunders on the shelf again because... There are no willing dance partners out there that will give him any kind of return. Um, I've seen Danny Jacobs that said, Billy Joe, if you want to do it, let's do it. But I don't think that's a fight that Billy Joe wants. So I don't know. Like, I know we're going to come on to it in one of the questions, but I just think Billy Joe's blown it. His window for greatness is gone. And now he's literally just trying to rescue whatever crumbs and, you know, shards of detritus he can salvage from his career has he almost gone down the Amir Khan route of chasing people that don't want anything to do with him because he was chasing Golovkin at one point wasn't he whereas Khan but Khan fought people like Khan has a record no but I mean but but, yeah it was chasing Mayweather and Pacquiao is what I was alluding to which is and has therefore become quite irrelevant in this country because of it Khan had a right to from where he was at the time he had a right to Billy Joe doesn't because Billy Joe's biggest win to date is Andy Lee. Andy Lee. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, if if, if he fought Chris Eubank Jr. now, do you think the, the result will be different? Completely. I think he'd get battered from pillar to post. So he can, he can technically put that name down on his... <laughs> well, <laughs> well, well, no, but at the time, Chris was a raw green novice. Now, now Chris is a yeah. bit more mature. I'd, you know, he, Billy Joe gets his head taken off. Um, I'm hoping this is going to make sense to you because it doesn't make sense to me. Andy Johnson asks, where can I get a jacket like Andy Lee's? 
you gotta go to one of these shops run by an African guy, man. Like, like you, you really like you know. Sometimes I remember once I bought a fire suit. Like it was just a suit, and it was just the, the fabric was just fire. Not 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 like cheesy like stylized fire. It was like fire, and it was like a proper suit. And I wore this, and I wore it with brown rock ports. And how embarrassing was that? But you know what? If I had that jacket now, that would be on trend. Maybe it's just ahead of my time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, clearly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Gary Saunders asks, Billy Joe Saunders, unlucky, mismanaged, or both? If Billy Joe was a Hearn fighter, he'd already had the Golovkin fight by now. He might have lost it, but he'd have been rebuilt again and fought in another big fight. That's the one thing you have to give Hearn credit for. He knows who his money fighters are, and he keeps them in rotation as best he can. I think we'll warrant... You're, you're watching a man who, who just doesn't get it anymore. And it's costing Billy Joe Saunders money. Like, everyone remembers how I refer to the class of 2008 routinely in terms of, you know, let's look at the guys who turned pro after the 2008 boxing season. And you look at, you look at Billy Joe's contemporaries, Tyson Fury, lineal heavyweight champion, James DeGale, um, IBF world champion, solid CV, enough money in the bank that he doesn't have to worry about being a bouncer. Um, George Groves is of that generation as well. George Groves is fabulously wealthy and is a world champion and deservedly so and has been in some of the biggest fights in British boxing already. Um, even looking outside the UK to that 2008 vintage, Badu Jack has gone from absolutely nowhere to being WBC super middleweight champion and likely to be WBA light heavyweight champion. And he has a meaningful CV too. Billy Joe Saunders is a poor relation in the event that these guys had a reunion. He'd have to hang his head in shame. That's partly down to him. He doesn't take care of himself properly. It's down partly down to his management. Like they just, they've just fucked him basically. So Billy Joe Saunders is 27 now. Are you saying that you don't think, as it stands, you don't think he's ever going to be able to, like, he's not going, he's reached his peak and he's on the down? Not that he's on the down, it's uh you have no momentum, so it's going to take you a year to build up the momentum to have these meaningful fights. Um, if he got his head screwed on, and let's say... He, was he wouldn't t- be in this position. I, I realise that, but uh, devil advocate, he gets his head screwed on, um, it was 28 in August... So let's say the time he's 29, he's had a few meaningful fights and you would say he has a bit of momentum behind him. Is there enough time there for him to fulfill his potential? No. No? Nah, he, he, he's just not on that trajectory. I know he's allegedly with Adam Booth now and I don't even think the Dark Lord himself can squeeze that out of him. So It's a shame because I didn't like him and I never liked him as a boxer, but... I accept the fact that he had potential. He's a good boxer. He, my God, he's good. He can. He's a guy who can box, right? Yeah. There, there are a lot of people who get in the ring and call themselves boxers. This is a man who can box. And what I mean by that is, even if he wasn't 100% fit, he could still dig out a performance and the, he could still be safe. The only well, criticism I had ever was, was he wasted a lot of energy bouncing around the ring like a kangaroo. But, you know, if he's still winning fights, then... Burn away, mate. You know, that was the only criticism I would have ever had of him. I'm going to throw something in. Sorry, I'm just going to just going to just going to kick a big hole in in what we plan to discuss today. 
And I wanted to discuss coaching in this country. So if you're a boxer and you know other people in boxing, this is the point where you retweet the retweets and say, you need to listen to this bit here or 37 minutes in, wherever the hell it is. 54. If nothing else, the last six months of boxing have shown how poor the standard of coaching is in this country. How many coaches legitimately coach the fundamentals and coach defense? None. Watch every coaching video. It's all about throwing punches, all about doing fast pads. It's all about doing stuff. And the feet are all over the shop. There's no footwork drills. No one's working on footwork and no one's teaching the science of it. Now, those who know me well know, I always talk about boxing in these terms. Defense, control, attack. Because that's how I teach people to box. Yeah, You've got to learn how to defend yourself first. Why? Because that drains your opponent's energy. If your opponent's trying to throw big bombs on you and they're missing, eventually he's going to put the cannons, I mean, back in his pocket and go, nope, I'm not winning that way. If you can control where a fight happens, when it happens, just using a jab and using your footwork... The other guy doesn't know what's going on. And then finally, once you've established that level of control and intelligence, you attack. And you attack with precision and accuracy. And that's how you win fights. I'm seeing these coaches. Now, these are coaches with very good fighters. And their fighters are average. They're shit. They can't move their feet. They don't understand how to shift head level. They don't really fight in phases. They don't throw combinations. Every time they throw a punch, they jump out like it's still an amateur show. And it's embarrassing. And you guys are still trying to sell tickets to people. Um, let's let's talk about Josh Boatsy because he's signed with Matchroom now. But he has to pick a trainer. He might have picked a trainer already. But who do you pick? Because realistically, like, and here here's what he must have realized very quickly. Josh Boatsy has very few options. You go with Adam Booth, who has a track record of success. Or you go with Rob McCracken, who has a track record of success. There's no one else you can train with unless you go back to your amateur coach and say, look, do you want to train me as a professional? Even then it's 50-50. And all of these young boxers are picking trainers and I don't think they're going through the proper decision-making process. And the problem is you get three years down the line and you're shit. And you're shit because you can't move your feet, you can't move your head, you don't understand what's going on in the ring because no one's taught you. But you can do a thousand punch combinations on the pads. Well done. And, you know... It's embarrassing. I look at guys like Tundi Ajayi, who, as a coach, I think is class. I think he's absolutely brilliant. People say he's a tough taskmaster. Good. Tunde Ajayi, Tony Cisse, the Tibbs family, all of these guys are great trainers because they're old school in their outlook and they're old school in their values. And they teach you everything. You know, I'd feel a fighter was safe with any one of those trainers. I think you're struggling outside of that, if I'm being brutally honest. You're definitely struggling. There's some young guys like Brian O'Shaughnessy out there who we still haven't seen what he produces yet, but you know I'm hearing good things. But generally, the standard of coaching is poor. And it's poor because everyone believes they know everything and no one's sharing ideas and no one's learning from the old school. And honestly, if you're a boxer out there, I take a long, hard look at your trainer and go, has he made me better defensively? Am I better in my fundamentals? Not my basics, my fundamentals. What's the difference? Basics are things you have to do in the ring. Your fundamentals are things you should do in the ring. There's a big difference. And if you don't understand that difference, you might be in the wrong sport.
sorry. Uh, not directly related to the question, but in some ways, uh, the boxing promoter at Boxing Promoter. Great game. Shouts out to it. If you can get a download of the boxing promoter, it's a lot of fun. Congratulations to the boxing promoter for actually just having the stones to build the game. So congratulations, man. Like, proud of you. I hope it's a big success. Um, I want to keep a few, I need a few more iterations of play feedback some you know some comments some requirements you know the usual just to make sure that you know the the, the second and third drop of that are just incredible uh, at underscore boxing promoter if uh, if you're interested um pronouns here they ask uh, where does natural power come from is it as it says natural technique strength and conditioning timing of punches peds natural power all of the above Technically. So let's start with the core of it, right? Everyone knows that guy and they probably grew up with him and he was a bit of a lump. Now, look, this is like primary school. He was a bit of a lump and he was clumsy and he never knew his own strength. So when he grabbed you, it was always slightly excessive and you're like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, there's always that guy, yeah. that big oaf. That's Cheesy what you call armpits. him. Yeah. Big clumsy oaf was what they normally called him. That's probably the guy. If you're if you're a boxing coach and you're looking for someone with power, he's the guy I'm looking at. Because if you look at the musculoskeletal system, what we've evolved as humans is the ability to use just enough muscle fibers for the for the task that we're doing. It's what it's what enables us to be gentle when we need to be. It's what enables us to be forceful when we need to be. We can vary the amount of muscle fibers activated per action. Now, there are some people who just activate more muscle fibers per action full stop. It's just how they've been born. It's how they've grown up. And that's what gives them that natural strength. You know, when you see those guys who don't look big, but they're strong, you can't shake them off the ball. You can't move them. You know, there's, there's people you're like, how is this person like so Antonio strong? Valencia for United. You, you see players bounce off him that are the same, if not size and a half, the size yeah. of him. He's just solid. Or when Ronaldinho bounced off John Terry. And, and what that is, is it's muscle fiber activation. So maybe you're activating, I'm just picking arbitrary numbers here. Maybe you're activating 20 muscle fibers just to, to grab a cup of coffee. If, if another guy's activating 29 or 30 muscle fibers. Smash. Yeah, that, that's exactly what it is. So, so that's the bedrock of all of this. If you have that ability to recruit more muscle fibers per movement, you're going to punch harder than most people. Even without training, you'll be able to do it out the bag. It's always been my theory about George Foreman. I've always thought George Foreman was just one of those guys who activated more fibers because when he opens car doors, the car door just comes off its hinges. Pro- it pulls well, it so hard. well, you saw what he did to Joe Frazier. He cleaned his clock out nicely. Cleaned <laughs> his clock out. And then, so so you've got those guys, right? They're they're the in in this power game. They're the unicorns. They're the guys you really want in a boxing gym. But then we can just, you know, then we've got another two classes of boxers. They're the guys with leverage. So they're the guys who are six foot three, six foot four, and they're super middleweights. They have these really long arms, and they just throw punches from so far back. By the time it lands, it's generated its terminal velocity. Um, Tommy Hearns, prime example of someone who could generate force like that. Um, you know, if you see how he dealt with Roberto Duran, for example, devastating. Um, 
you know, so you tend to find those guys at the lower weights, so light heavyweight down. Bob Foster was another example. You know, long arms, long left hooks, could knock people out for fun. But when he fought bigger guys, he showed that he wasn't that strong. And then you have your mechanical fighters, your guys like Tyson, who it's all just explosive. It's tight, it's small levers, but very violent force generated. David Hayes, another example of that, where it's all speed and mechanics. It's just you, You're just taking the laws of physics and extending them. So that's your training. That's your strength and conditioning. That's all of those variables. That's sharpening your technique and your timing as well. So you have different classes of power, but I, when people say that natural power, you're talking that George Foreman power, really. That's what we're really talking about. And you're kind of born with that or you're not. Um, what I find deceptive about watching Tyson Fury is he doesn't look he doesn't look necessarily like he's carrying as much power as he is when I watched him versus Derek Chisora when Derek Chisora we were Martin and I was, were there watching and uh, I, I couldn't believe it I think Derek Chisora bowed out in about the 8th or ninth tenth round I was at 10th um, and I was like what he barely looks like he's been hitting him because Fury had switched to southpaw for more or less the entire fight and when you saw the state of Derek Chisora, face. <laughs> he had been torn to pieces. But remember, Fury was about 18 and a half, 19 stone at that point. And he's just popping up that big, heavy arm. And he's so technically sound that he doesn't waste motion. So every time he's hitting you, um, if you ever ask people what it's like being hit by Fury, they'll go, he's so big, he doesn't even bother landing with the knuckle. He just lands with the padded part of the glove. And on those times he does land with the knuckle, he's like he'll take you out. That's when he's knocking people out. So Fury, if 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 he improved the contact point of each of his punches by just cutting down the number of knuckles that connected, he'd probably knock everyone out. Um, sticking on the heavyweights, if you had to pick, uh, David McGinley asks, if you had to pick three boxers to put Huey Fury in, uh, around July to gauge his ability, who would they be? Dominic Brazil. Um, I'd have Brazil in there. It'd be a good test for Huey. He's good technically. Uh, Brazil's tough. He's durable. So that that would be a good test. And if you got through it's Brazil... the guy who lasted, what, seven rounds against Joshua? Joshua, yeah. And lasted... Who's it? Uh, then he dealt with Uzu Uguno in five rounds as well. So, so what you know about Brazil is Brazil's definitely a gatekeeper. If you deal with him, you belong at world level, in my opinion. So he's one. Um, Carlos Takam, but I think Takam has a dance partner. But someone like a Takam is a good test. That'll let you know where you are. What about, uh, would a Luis Ortiz be too much right now? Uh, yeah, Ortiz, or, or there's got to be something at stake. You don't want to just fight him to gauge where no. you are. Yeah, you see yeah. what I mean? yeah. You know, or he could just go with one of the old guys and just jump in with a with a, someone like an Ustinov, just for the name value and the ranking. Um, Alexander Usk, is he moving up to heavyweight? I'd imagine at some point he will. Uh, Usyk, actually, I think. Sorry, Usk. I don't know. Class, uh, twenty twelve Olympian. I think he won gold. So another one of the class of twenty twelve. Interestingly enough, if you actually average out the non-GB boxers. Since 2012, they've averaged about 20 bouts before they fought for a world title. 
I think Spence was 22. Usk was like 19 or something. And you look at the GB guys and like their careers to date have been shocking and not many have got to 20 bouts. It just shows we don't take boxing seriously. We say we're the home of boxing, but that's why Spencer's ready. You know, 22 fights in fights for a world title. Didn't fight much filler. He fought real live contenders. Yeah. You know, that, you know, even give Brazil his due. Brazil's been in tough already. He's been in tough. Michael Hunter was in tough. So I think Michael Hunter fought Alexander Usk not long ago. Michael Hunter, 2012 Olympian, fighting Usk, another 2012 Olympian. Always good to see, just like when Joshua, a 2012 Olympian, fought Brazil, a 2012 Olympian. So let's just, yeah, so 20 bouts. And why is that important? This is why. And I know the great man is not here. He's somewhere, you know, yanking on a, a pig's curly tail somewhere, you know, <laughs> just, just, just hating life right now. But it's probably not even a euphemism either. It sounds like it should be, but it's probably more close to the truth. Yeah. And he wrote a fantastic piece about our matchroom cambered the wrong way in terms of having too many young guys versus having enough experienced heads. And I found it really interesting because I went back and I looked at how many fights it takes you before you fight for a world title. And if it's if it's on average about 20 bouts, and Eddie's got, what, five or six of these Olympians, these 2016 Olympians, he has to find these guys 120 bouts in the next four or five years. And think about that for a second, right? He has to. There's five Olympians here. He can't... You can push them on. For the first five fights, it doesn't matter who they fight. Fuck it, just put them on TV and let them fight. When they get to bouts 12 to 15 and you're starting to line them up to be ranked and stuff, at that point, you're going to realise who Eddie's got his money behind and who he hasn't got his money behind. That's why, for a lot of these Olympians, I'm surprised they signed with Hearn because there's not enough room at the top because... He's going to have to find those fights for you. And it's not about finding the fights. It's about finding the money for those fights while keeping Callum Smith financially happy, James DeGale financially happy, potentially Joshua financially happy, Bellew, and whoever else is a veteran of Matchroom, Kel Brook even. He has to find the money to keep everyone happy. And at some point, you're going to realize there's no money there for you. And you will regret having signed to Matchroom when you could have gone to Frank Warren. So if I was a 2016 Olympian, I'd be reflecting long and hard about whether Hearn is behind me or he's just got me so no one else has me. Um, sticking with the heavyweights, kind of. Um, we did touch on this earlier, um, but the, I feel compelled to ask the question regardless. The Boxing Madman asks, what did you make of the return of Mike Perez? Uh, will he be fighting for a world t- title later this year? Will it be Bellew perhaps on the horizon? You think it might be Bellew on the He'll horizon? He'll be fed to someone. They've resurrected him because they need to feed him to someone. They never managed to do that with Ola Afolabi because he wouldn't sell out because he knew he could always get the fight with Marco Huck and make reasonable money. So Hearn could never persuade him to come and fall over. And I don't think Afolabi would fall over in the UK. So you're then looking for someone else who has name value, but you can still hope that your guys will knock him over. So I'd expect Perez to get knocked over by one of the matchroom cruiserweights pretty soon. Uh, okay, Titch asks, thoughts on the changes Aber have made 
to the weight categories in Tokyo 2020. I hope Lady Titch follows me. I'm being deadly serious now. I don't like answering questions from people who don't follow me. It hurts me. Like, I'm doing you guys a favour and no one's really helping me out. I've probably answered this on Twitter anyway. But by way of context, every Olympic cycle, the IOC sit down and work out how many medals to give each sport. And there's nothing more annoying at the fact that swimming never gets fewer medals. They all, you know, <laughs> here, you can swim going forwards. You can swim going backwards. You can swim with your arms to the side. You can swim by making circles with your arms. Well done. Here you go. Here's 18 medals. Now you're the greatest Olympian. Bullshit. Cycling. Cycle on your own. Cycle with two of you. Cycle with three of you. Cycle on the road. Cycle with eight of you. Pretend you're cycling till the last lap, then sprint like hell. <laughs> <laughs> so what slow bike race like yeah, at the county uh, fair fucking omnium wherever that shit is <laughs> who, called who can who can cycle the slowest without falling over <laughs> yeah which is what generally happens and then there's oh let's just cycle against the clock so you have all of this nonsense and none of these sports lose medals and they say to boxing right we're only going to increase your medal count by one but we need to increase equality so we're going to give women more events and we're going to take a couple away from the men so have, that extra medal gone then um, it'll go to. I think they created a new category or something. I'm trying to remember. So, I remember correctly. They are adding three women's categories, I think, and they're taking two out, or it might just be two for two. Maybe they didn't add a medal. Fuck, I can't even count today. God, I shouldn't go out on Saturdays. <laughs> but in essence, what they're going to do is they haven't decided yet. Aiba have to decide which two weight classes they're going to pull. But they're going to add a 57 kilogram class for the women and a 69. Right. So, super feathers, we call it, I think it is, and welterweight for the women. And they're going to decide which one to take away from the men. Judging by the fact that Mason Smith, um, really talented boxer in the GB setup, is threatening to go pro, I suspect they might be taking away 64. And. They'll pick one other weight class. They probably can't take anything higher than 64, so they might pick something like 51, or if there's a 48, they might take up the 48. So the men are going to lose two weight classes, which means GB are going to lose a raft of boxers. So one of the McCormack brothers will have to jump out because there's no point if there's no Olympic weight. But I think what Tish is alluding to is how do I feel about what they're doing with women's boxing? Do I agree with where the weight classes are? wholeheartedly agree with 57. I think 57 is a good female boxing weight. I'm not saying that to be patronizing. I'm saying it in terms of number of skilled females who can make that weight, number of athletes within that cohort, both very high. So there's a lot of good women that box at 57 kilograms. And there are a lot of women who can boil down from 60 to 57. So if you look at Ireland, for example, you've got Dervla Duffy at 57. She makes it comfortably. She used to stress up because she could never make 60 because she wasn't that big. But 57 is a good weight for her. She can make it. Um, so I'm happy with 57. I'm less happy with 69 because I think 69 mm. is problematic. A lot of women had to take various forms of performance-enhancing substances to go from 69 to 75 to qualify for the Olympics. There are 75 kilogram women who have been on various forms of growth hormone and testosterone assistance for years now. If they can now box at 69, which is more in tune with their weight, they will have the imputed advantage of years of doing this over people who might be 64 kilo ladies moving up. 
So I'm not comfortable with that. I agree that there should be a weight class. I think they should have made it 64. And when 64 matures, you move up and add 69. But we need more medals in general because I think we found that boxing is the sport a lot of people care about. But let's just roll it back and go, you know, you at 69, who have you got? You've got ladies like Stacey Copeland. She can box well. Uh, it might be the case that the welterweight division and shouts out to Cecilia Breakers who boxed in Bergen on Friday and won, so she now has five belts. If the IOC are looking forward to her, bringing her Norwegian following to the Olympics in 2020, what better incentive than to have a 69 kilo category and say, well, have a year where you qualify for the Olympics, box in the Olympics, go back to being a pro. We're all happy. Excuse me. <coughs> so 69 kilos, probably too soon for it. In the same way that people ask me if there should be an 81 kilo division. No, because all you'll get is overweight women who haven't really trained or small women who are taking shitloads of steroids, and that's the wrong kind of behavior to promote. And before anyone gets offended by that, that's what happened in rugby. When they started to say you had to be 119 kilos to be a prop forward, you had men who were 100 kilos just taking shitloads of steroids and shitloads of growth hormone. And now their joints are fucked, their bodies are ruined. You know, some of these guys can't produce their own testosterone because they were taking it incorrectly for so long. So let's be careful what we wish for. We want to encourage the right kind of behaviours. We want divisions in boxing where the boxers look like athletes and box technically well. That's all we want. And I think had they made it 57 and 64, there'd have been no debate from anyone. Uh, Mick at Senor Testi asks, what UK fighter could benefit the most if you could legally jack him up with unlimited PEDs? It's a strange it's a strange way he phrases it if you could legally jack them up. I'm gonna just change that to which fighter would benefit from being jacked on PEDs. He says Bradley Skeet. No, Anthony Joshua. Like, doesn't fail drugs tests, it's absolutely clean. Imagine putting the roids into Anthony yeah, Joshua. Yeah, that's true, yeah. What would happen? He'd be about 24 stone and run the 100 meters in four seconds. <laughs> be like the incredible heart. It would. It would literally just be one punch knockout. <laughs> and right? his head would explode whoever yeah. punched. But he'd be so humble with it. Oh, well. He'd yeah. be that. I know there's iron roids. He'd be roids. humble on steroids. Yeah. He'd be like, I know there's iron roids, but there's no you in steroids. So you're clean. So unite the humble with the. Uh, P E D with the with the U and the I and the um, and you get Uniped. I'm not even sure what I'm talking about. Oh, nice one, AJ. You're inspirational. Yeah, no, AJ and Roy's would be insane. Um, I see what you're saying about Bradley Skeet though, because he's wiry. Yeah, but but you know, it suits him. I'm trying to think who else would be good on. You made him steroids. if you could jack up Bradley Skeet, you might look like Man of War. Billy Joe Saunders on steroids would be something special. Billy Joe Saunders. On steroids. Wow, imagine that. He'd just be like, we could probably go up a weight class, lose all of his fat and just replace it with muscle. Yeah. Uh... And then be like a little muscle dumpling or something. Or Lee Lee Haskins on steroids would just be conceded, the guy that was going to box Billy Joe Saunders. Uh, based on the uh, David McGinley asks, based on the success of the fighters that he was working to, how good is Booth? on the world scale this is an interesting question um everyone knows i rate booth highly i think booth was a revolutionary in british boxing he changed a lot of what we do 
He was like the Arsene Wenger of boxing because he dared to think outside the box. And now a lot of stuff that people called him a weirdo for saying is orthodox now. And congratulations to Adam Booth for that. Um, He's a guy who, you know what you're getting with him. But what we're really concerned about here is legacy. So let's start to look at it and say, what big fights has he won? What seminal fights has Adam Booth been involved in? Hey Klitschko, he lost. Groves Froch, even though he wasn't necessarily in the corner, lost. Uh, where else are we looking for seminal fights? There aren't many seminal fights in his record, right? Um, Andy Lee, Billy Joe Saunders, lost. So, if you look at it based on results, it's not that good. There's obviously a ceiling to what he can achieve. But if you look at how he's able to prepare fighters for being in the ring, there aren't many in Britain that can compete with him. Yeah, I'd say just based on what you just... The fighters you mentioned there, I'd have said his best chance would have been Groves against Froch. Because it seems to me that Hay was always going to be lip, uh, restricted against Klitschko. Looking at Klitschko now, he's always he seems to have struggled against blokes who are a bit really big that he has to that he can't just take for granted that he's going to be able to overpower and overreach. Um, and then you look at Andy Lee against Billy Joe Saunders. Even when we were standing in the crowd, it was like, well, Andy Lee's got that knockout blow. With that what else he got? Like Billy Joe's got like you've said before, a much cool. better boxer and he's got everything else in his locker. So his only chance really was against Groves. And I remember going to the second Groves fight and there was four of us that went. Two of us were um, going with Froch. The other two were saying, oh no, Groves was unlucky in the first fight. He shouldn't have got stopped early. So there seemed to be a 50-50 split as to who expected what to ha- to go wrong. But I, I, d- does that mean that his choice of... Um, um, business associate in the world of boxing is poor or what? Does he does he see things that aren't there in boxers or... Who, Adam Booth? Yeah. No, no, Adam Booth has a very clear way he likes to... But he's a very calculating man himself. So his fighters are very calculating. You don't get involved in skirmishes unless it's advantageous for you. So if you notice, David and George both had that same style where even though the head was forward, the hips were always back which meant you could easily just be out of range. In one movement, you were out of range, which forced your opponent to overcommit, and then that's when you took advantage. And that was always the the Booth way, was to snipe. You saw in Ryan Burnett something different. I didn't like it, so I'm not going to dwell on it. He, he, he almost attempted to try and be a bit too slick without really teaching the fundamentals of being slick. But I think Burnett was like that before anyway. We'll see what happens with Cordina. Because Cordina will be the the new lab rat for Adam Booth version two or version three. Just uh, quickly going back to the uh, Burnett Haskins, I feel compelled to um, give Jamie Reed a shout out because he asked the question. It's clear the judge of Burnett uh, slash Haskins filled in the scorecard wrong. Luckily, it didn't uh, wrongly swing the result. What happens to them now? But you kind of already answered that in the sense that there's not enough good judges as it is. Yeah. Well, uh, it'll probably just sort of disappear for a bit and then turn up yeah, somewhere. Yeah, do a couple of small hall shows, get the cards right, and then you go, come on, guys. Come I, just put the, I just got confused between the boxes. Is I mean, even if that's even if that's not the case, it's a good story to just spin. Exactly. You know, so, um, 
Arthur Wallace asks, does uh, Dillian White, presumably he's talking about here, pose a legitimate threat at world level? I'll answer that for you, Arthur. No, never and never will be. <laughs> Terry. <laughs> well, let's look at who's got the belts at the moment. Does he beat Deontay Wilder? No. He probably gets knocked out by Deontay Wilder. Does he beat Anthony Joshua? We know the answer to that. No, he doesn't. He might make it competitive, but he doesn't beat them. For a bit. Yeah. Does he beat Joseph Parker? No, he doesn't beat Joseph Parker. Oh, really? No. Okay. Dillian White is the new Derek Chisora. And I don't mean yeah, that disrespectfully. I, I, that's exactly what I think. He's a tough man, a gatekeeper, a guy who will do the rounds with you. But he has no X factor in terms of he's not super powerful. He's not super quick. He's not really strong. He's he's like a solid seven all round. But to be a world champion, something has to be 10 out of 10. So you look at Joshua, 10 out of 10 mentality, right? Agreed. Deontay Wilder, 10 out of 10 power. Joseph Parker, 10 out of 10 luck. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I'm. I've never been a massive fan of White. Um, I've got a friend who who thought which he was is interesting go all the way. considering your surname. Yeah, um, spelt differently, but you know, um, we'll have none of that. That we'll have none of that white apartheid on this show, man. Yeah. <laughs> apartheid. All all whites are the same. <laughs> oh God! Ah, this is a lovely cul-de-sac we found ourselves in. <laughs> Um, I've never, White power. I've never. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> is oh. White's power a good thing? <laughs> um, I yeah, I'm not a massive fan of it. I've never thought he's anything, anything special, and yeah, and I, I've personally, I've never seen him get in the ring and thought to myself, "There is a disciplined boxer." I, you know, if you're going to be someone with limited skill and skill set such as his then turn up looking a million dollars actually shouts out to ian lewison who came back from that defeat to white i think he's uh, fighting yes. he's fighting hellenius i think for like the like one of those wb somethings anyway. i'll be interested to see if a he's lost weight or b if he's wearing a bra this time uh, he's been training like ronnie coleman he looks huge but he's been wearing jumpers a lot so i don't know what's underneath yeah hmm uh, okay, we are finding ourselves in Comeback Corner. So we have one question, again from Arthur Wallace. He asks, following the recent tweets from Mr. Frotch, is there a comeback looming? And at what weight and could he still pick up a belt? Taking into consideration his, uh, his new nose, uh, take that out of the equation. What do you think? I think he said that he can't make 168 anymore, so he'd have to box at 175, which means he'd have to fight Ward again for a big chunk of the belts. But to get to Ward, you'd have to fight Kovalev first. I don't think Froch really needs that at 40 or 41 years old, whatever he is. So I imagine Froch will stay retired, and I think we're all okay with that because he's given good service to the country in terms of boxing. And actually, he's a really good pundit. I like his honesty. Don't agree with his scorecards, but he's incredibly honest, which is good. His evisceration of Frankie Gavin lives long in the memory. That was brilliant. If you can find that on YouTube, it is absolutely brilliant. And what, I've been taking it apart on commentary? or No, no, he was doing an interview with, I think it was with Coogan, and he was just basically, like, he was talking about Frankie Gavin, and he was like, well, we've all had enough. What do I need to hear? Like, he was the first British world champion in the amateurs. I'm bored of that. What's he done since? Rips into him, <laughs> and Frankie Gavin just walks through the door, like, as he's ripping into ah. him. <laughs> okay, um, in Comeback Corner, we also find ourselves asking, Mayweather is back sparring. 
But then saying that, it's not really a, there's talks of him fighting the Irish clown. McGregor. The yeah. thing about Floyd, and I, I respect this about Mayweather, he's always ready. You imagine that he's not far off fight shape. I'm guessing he's probably at about 150, 152. So he only has to shed five pounds to make welterweight. But against McGregor, there's no weight class, essentially, because there's no belt. So they can fight at any weight that they agree. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. So he doesn't really have to make weight, which is good. Um, if he's back sparring, then we know he's in a good place. And, you know, that Mayweather gym is notorious for the quality of sparring. How old is he? 40. 40. Mm. But a young 40. He has no miles on him. Like when, you, when you meet him in person, like I have. Someone should tell Spencer Fear on Floyd and I actually sat down and broke bread. Um... <laughs> He's he looks so young. He looks like he's in his early thirties. Like, geez, the guy has not aged. Uh, didn't he have problems with his hands as well? Yes. Saints, so it's, it's all boxers get it at some point, but some are more vocal about it. When you're boxing, I don't think people realize those ten ounce gloves don't protect you that much. So when you catch someone's elbow or sometimes you just hit a bone anywhere, top of the skull, <laughs> something like that, bones go, ligaments go, your fingers start to deform. Nice. And it's not pleasant to look at after a fight. And people don't realize the hell these fighters' hands go through. That's why a lot of fighters need a couple of months recovery time after these fights. It's absolutely insane. Like, look, don't believe me. Go down to your local club, put on some 16-ounce gloves, and go sparring. Hit someone in the elbow and tell me how your hands feel. Sunday night. Is this a preview? Brandon Rios. Yeah. Brandon Aaron. Bam Bam Rios against Aaron Herrera. Oh, I, do, I wonder what that was. So, Sunday uh, night. Tonight. Oh, right. Sorry. Okay, right. Tonight. Right. Yeah. Here we go. So, so I'll have to get this out tonight now. So, yeah. So, <laughs> you, so you know, clearly they need to feed... Brandon Rios to someone, so they're going to resurrect him, make him relevant again. Maybe feed him to Errol Spence. Maybe feed him to Danny Garcia. He'll be fed to someone. This is the cycle of boxing. You know, you get a name who's beatable. You know, make him look invincible again. Put him in with someone decent. He loses. He gets a nice payday. But what does it do? It keeps the money in the sport. Okay, as promised, we have a question from Tartin Mirbold. Um, He asks... Would you rather sleep with a man but nobody knows about it or not sleep with a man but everyone thinks you have? Are you giving or taking, though? <laughs> um, well, I'm I'm assuming the way that the question's asked, it's... it's I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess the fact that he's talking about taking... Uh, then I'd rather people thought about it, man. I, I don't, you know what I mean? I, at least I can live with myself. <laughs> well, for me, I, I think I'd rather that um, I actually got a bit of the good stuff and I'm not really bothered about if anyone thinks. If I think that um, if I have slept with a man, I'd, I'd just stab myself in the leg and lay in the street. <laughs> there I got attacked. <laughs> <laughs> what? So you're, you're going for... Not sleep with a man, but everyone thinks you have. Yeah. Because <laughs> at least you can live with yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. Don't know, Martin. I mean, Tartan. Uh, send your question in next time. <laughs> with, I think I'd go probably 
with not yeah i don't think i could i don't think i could handle i don't think i could handle it i remember watching oz when i was doing my my a levels yeah and, and that fucked me up like, you only ever see like it's only ever depicted in really brutal horrible ways like in um what's that prison movie with uh the the sisters that they get him the Stephen King when they're in the prison. It's not lock up, is it? No. Um. Oh, with uh, Morgan Freeman and uh, people are screaming at their iPad iPhones now. Game. Shawshank. Yeah, Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> and the sisters and they and they wrestle him over and then hammer him. Yeah, it's yeah. always depicted in that way. But if it was like that, I'd be well up for it. No, no. It's either rough or I'd go home. Nah, man. You see some of that fucked up shit on Pornhub. Oh, right? oh okay. Uh, well, this got interesting. <laughs> nah, listen. Don't, don't, don't have privately educated friends. The shit they send you is fucked up. Uh, Terry, you look broken. You've given us everything tonight. Nah, it's not over yet. Oh, okay. All right. Right. Sorry. Of course. Why didn't I think that? Sorry. In order for me to get to the end, I have to go. Right. Well, I think that's it. Um, anything else to add, Terry? You know what? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. As a trio, we've done this for a year now, over a year now. We've done a year and a month. Oh, yeah, okay, right. And I know people listen to other boxing podcasts and it's cool, and I have no issue what? with that. That's not cool. But I want you guys to remember something. We don't want to when, be a booby cool. When you listen, right, you have three guys here who, we talk boxing, but I like to feel we give you a little part of who we, we really are. Um... As long as you guys appreciate that, it's important because I'll go back to last week when Martin actually fetched me from the airport and brought me down to do the podcast because we all think it's that important to do it for you guys, number one. And number two, we're that close as a group now that these are the things we do for each other and it's humbling and it's it's the power of getting off your ass and just taking risks and doing shit. And look at the great things that can happen. You know, the number of times people send me messages and people are, you know, they're people I respect and I now know in the sport through this podcast and they know who I am. And it's fantastic. And I think I speak for all three of us when I say we're really grateful that you guys keep banging the drum for us and you stand by us because, you know, we respect what you guys do and we really value the fact that you listen, you know, guys like David Maguire, um, Senor Tasty, Sam Khan, Blessed With Work, you know, a lot of stuff happens behind the mention. scenes. Yeah, they're, they're thousands and we 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 love it. Not from an ego sense, but from a fact that it's a sense of community. We're all in it together, you know. All of us who are slightly cynical about the sport, but shit, we still love it. And we do this every week, hungover, feeling like crap. We get up. It's and our we own get fault up. that we're hungover, to be fair. But we've got to live. <laughs> we've got to live. And we get up and we move our days around to do this. Friends understand. I'm sure in other cases, girlfriends understand. Dates understand. Mums understand that for two or three hours in the evening, this is prime time for us. And we hope you enjoy this. And if you do enjoy this, I'm being serious, man. Go out there and do stuff yourselves too. Whatever it is you want to do, chase it. Because this all started out as dreams and aspirations. And uh, loads to get pithy. But every so often, we just have to say to you guys, man, we're grateful. And if we can say one thing, go and do what makes you happy too. And you can feel like this as well. Well, it's also a self-help podcast. So 
Yeah. Well, Martin's been missed. Um, he'll be listening. So you've been missed, Moski. But um, I mean, obviously, the advantage of him not being here is that we put no on such a quality product. Um, yeah. You know, and yeah, we're not getting sued by anyone. Fantastic. Um, we. You know. It's not some like crazy slandering one-upmanship between the two of you. No, but you need. Yeah. <laughs> <Don't>... <laughs> oh, he's playing well, with me. Well, back to the question. Things are getting hot. <laughs> Might as not be able to separate the pair of us. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm too tired. This Cheers, is going guys. Wrong way. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening and your continued support. Get in touch at New Age Podfather, at New Age Boxing UK, at the Seven Walls. And read my fucking website, man. Oh, and stop okay. asking me oh, questions oh, when the information's on there. bollocks now. Yeah. Come on, man. Like, we put it out there, you know, for the streets. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. Drop so, the theme music now. Goodbye from me, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell what it is yet? <laughs> uh, bell crook there. Are you, uh, are you done, Terry? Done. Thank you very much. I'm gonna get it up, I'm gonna get it up, I'm gonna get it up.